Genesis chapter 39. I'm reading verses 1 through 11. 1 through 10. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from that from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said, his said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the message of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, be my rock my Redeemer, be with us this morning and open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Last week, we studied Genesis 37. Does anybody remember that? It was about the undisciplined family. And if you remember, the jealousy and the hatred of Joseph's brothers was so deep that they could no longer live with him. And they plotted to kill him. They stripped him of his richly ornamented robe. Remember that? And they threw him into the pit. In one moment, Joseph, who, who was the favored son, who wore this beautiful, long-sleeved robe, who didn't have to work, becomes now, in the next moment, the forgotten slave who was sold into slavery and had to travel down to Egypt. Joseph's life of freedom, financial status, and his family life were all taken from him in a moment. His life dramatically changed, and his life and his world were turned upside down. He was at a crossroads, but through it all, Joseph never left his faith in God. He never forsook his God. He was faithful. He is a rare person for only 17 years of age. That's why the more I studied Joseph, the more I was, was, was digging into it. Because he's a man of character. And you'll see that as we go along. In life, there are times when we go through 
turmoil. Last week we called it adversity. Where we have to make life-changing decisions. Sometimes our world also is turned upside down. Do you know that? Life is full of ups and downs. Is that right? And for the most part, they come when you least expect it. They're surprises. They're, you're not planning on these things happening. I was watching the news on Tuesday, and there was a couple on, on the news, and they, they were sharing how they've been working at this Numi plant for years, and then they got married there, and, and their life, they saved, and they scrimped, and they bought a house, and now their life is about to turn upside down because they're both are expecting to lose their jobs and their house, everything that they've saved for, everything that they worked for because of the shutdown of, of the plant. They're going through a crossroads, something totally unexpected. Well, you said, maybe I, you can't identify with that. What about one of these times you go to the doctor, you go, it's time for your yearly checkup to get, get checked and uh, physical, and the doctor says, hmm, that's not a good sign when the doctor says, hmm. And then he says, uh, I'm going to call you later. And you get a call afterwards saying, I need you to come in. We need you to take some more exams. There's something that I don't quite like. And then you go in. And to your shock, they tell you. We found a tumor. And then later you find out it's cancer. And that you need surgery. That is a crossroad. That is a life-changing decision. Maybe you can't relate to that. Maybe you know somebody that has been married for a while. They've been in a relationship. And you think everything is okay. Everything's, you know, all right. It's not great. There's not fireworks. But it's satisfactory, your relationship. Then one day you hear the awful words from your mate. I want out. I'm this is over. I can't do this anymore. You never dreamed anything like that would happen. Remember last week when I spoke, I said 25% of the husbands kiss their wife goodbye when they leave the house. And on the other hand, 99% of the husbands kiss their house goodbye when they leave their wife. Remember that? It's true. More than you know. Nothing can prepare you for something like that. You come to a place in life where you have to make these life-changing decisions. And there's adjustments that are going on. Well, this is exactly what Joseph is going through. God is working out his purpose and his plan for Joseph. And Joseph comes to this crossroads in life where he's at Potiphar's house. And he has to make this life-changing decision in regards to temptation. And that's the title of my message today. How to deal with temptation. The famous poet, Oscar Wilde, cynically, cynically wrote, the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. I like what he says. He says, I can resist anything but temptation. <laughs> That's rich. There's no doubt that giving in to temptation is much easier than resisting it. Don't you agree? Have you ever tried walking by a haagen store or something like that? It's easier to give in to it. It's hard to walk by. The famous theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I have his book, The Cost of Discipleship, also wrote a little book entitled Temptation. And in it, he wrote this great line. He says, in our members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce. 
And if we give in to those desires, the power of clear discrimination and decision are taken from us. That's, that's, that's powerful. In those desires, the powers of clear discrimination and decision are taken from us. There was a little boy named Bobby. And Bobby was saving up all his money to buy a new bicycle. And his plan was to save all his nickels and dimes and quarters for this brand new Schwinn motorcycle. And he kept putting his money away. And each night he prayed, oh God, please help me to save my money for this new bicycle. And he, he was saving his money, but he prayed one night, oh God, oh Lord, please help me to save my money for my bicycle. And please don't let the ice cream man come down our street again. Temptation. Every person, and I do mean every person who has ever lived on God's green earth, young or old, black or white, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, including Jesus Christ, has faced temptation. And every person who has ever faced and who has ever faced temptation has yielded to it, except Jesus Christ. Now, there are different types of temptation, right? There's material temptation. What, what kind of temptation is that? That's the desire for material things. It could be as tiny as a ring, a nice diamond ring, or it could be as big as a house. It could even be as medium as a nice 2010 Camaro, a yellow one. There's personal temptation. The, the, the desire to, for fame and position, to be a, a CEO for, for, for status. I want to be the president. Something like that. That's personal temptation. And thirdly, there's sexual temptation, which is the desire for physical pleasure. And today's message is more about sexual temptation. It is the clash between two cultures. It's the clash of two standards of living. Joseph represents those who belong to God. And Potiphar's wife represents those who belong to the world. Joseph seeks to please God. Potiphar's wife seeks to please herself. Joseph lives for purity. Potiphar's wife lives for pleasure. Joseph lives for the Lord. Potiphar's wife lives for lust. And Joseph today will provide us with a sterling example of one who could have committed adultery but instead chose to resist its persistent offer in favor of righteousness. So let's turn to Genesis 39, chapter 1. And very three basic math points. Three basic points. The setting, the seduction, and the sanction. Let's look at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, stop right there. From chapter 37 that we spoke about last week till now, there is no mention of time. It could have been six months. It could have even been six years that have gone by. But there is no mention of time. Joseph could be 18, he could be 20, he could be 22. We don't know. And the other thing I want you to notice is that there is no mention of any adjustments. You remember? He was 17 when he was taken from his home. And now he's in a, a new land in Egypt. 
Well, do you remember what he wore when he was walking around home? Remember the beautiful robe, the richly ornamented robe? Well, now he has to wear a new clothing. He's not wearing that robe anymore. And if you remember in some of those Egyptian movies, the Ten Commandments, they, 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 were, they wore like those kind of skirts that kind of went around and the kind of, you know, dressed, you know, kind of. And Egyptian people, they were clean shaven, no beards, which was very different from the Hebrew people. They wore beards and all that. Egyptians were clean shaven. So there's no mention of any new clothing. There's no mention of this new culture. The Hebrews were monotheistic. They worshipped one God. Well, the Egyptians were polytheistic. They worshipped many gods. I was reading about they, the, they, they, they worshipped the, the Nile God. They worshipped the moon. They worshipped the sun. That was His name was Ra. They, they were polytheistic. Uh, the fertility God. All kinds of gods. So it's a brand new clothing, new culture, new country. He came from from um, his land, and now he's in a foreign land. So now he's an alien. He's no he's no longer a resident from where for where he came from, and a new language. Now he has to learn Egyptian. Have you ever gone to uh, traveling somewhere and, and gone to Mexico, and all of a sudden you realize you don't speak the lingo? It's like, wow, you know, you start <laughs> trying to talk and what, what do you want? What do you want? This, this is what, you know, you have to point to things. It's kind of what Joseph was going through. He had to learn a new language. And then he had to learn a new position. He was, he was the favorite son. And now his new position, forgotten slave. A brand, or a big host of adjustments here. New clothing, new culture, new, new country, new language, new position. He was the jefe. He was walking around giving orders. Hey, do this, do that. He told tattletaling on his brothers. Now, <laughs> he's told what to do. He's a slave. And then we see Potiphar, that he's the captain of the guard. Now, it says there, captain of the guard, an officer of Pharaoh. He was the chief of the executioners. In our times, if you were to look at it today, it would be like he was the head of the FBI. And his name, Potiphar, means whom Ra has given. Whom Ra has given. So he was, he was a big yuckety yuck. He was up there. He was a big official. And then verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Regardless of the adversity that Joseph went through. Regardless that his world was turned upside down. Joseph was not abandoned by God. Four times it says that in verse 2, it says it in verse 3, in verse 21, and in verse 23. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. One of my favorite names of God is Emmanuel. And you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. And that's how I, I, when I read this, I see God with us. Emmanuel. And it says that, that Joseph was a successful man. Anyone who is successful is so because God is with you. There is no such thing as, at least in Christians, as luck or as fate. The hand of God was with Joseph. No matter where you are in life, you are there by the hand of God. And then notice verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. 
So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Potiphar noticed that God was with Joseph. Right away, he saw that Joseph was a gifted young man, that he was capable, and that you could do basically anything that he wanted him to do. So as a result, Joseph is quickly promoted. And that's what it says at the end of verse 4. Then he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. Joseph is quickly promoted. And he's in charge of everything. And then in uh, verse 5. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in his field. The Lord blesses Potiphar because of Joseph's sake. God does that. God blesses others through us. When I was reading Genesis in chapter 30, verse 27, Laban says to uh, Jacob, he says, the Lord has blessed me for your sake. God does that. Did you, did you know that? God blesses others through us. The, um, that's one of the reasons I think Laban tried to keep him so long. He kept tricking him because he saw that God was with him. And the longer he could keep him there, the more he would have the blessing of God upon his family. He, remember how long he was there? 20 years First, he was going to marry his, his daughter and he says, okay, seven years. And then he tricked him, got another seven years out of it, 14. And he ended up staying another seven. 20 years he stayed there. And Joseph is brought to Potiphar's house to be a blessing. No matter where you are, you are there to be a blessing. Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, definitely at work, and at church. You are there to be a blessing. You should not be a burden or a problem. You should be a blessing. It's when, uh, whenever I've, my, we've gone anywhere, whenever we go visit people, I always tell my children, be a blessing, be a blessing. Don't be some, you know, somebody causing problems. They don't want you there usually if you're causing problems. Um, so we are to be a channel of blessing. And as a result, the Lord's blessing was on everything Potiphar had. And I just want to say, many of you in this church are a blessing. You are doing so many things behind the scenes. You know, it's, it's easy to just to notice the people that are standing in front. But there are many people in the back that get here early, preparing things for after church. You just go in there and you get to pull a plate and eat. There is a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And I just want to tell you, thank you for all of you that are being a blessing and helping and preparing. You come into church, somebody has cleaned it. Somebody has cleaned the bathrooms. Somebody has prepared the food. Somebody has, you know, even as far as even the songs and the, and the taping, everything. Thank you, because you are being a blessing. And that's what God wants us to be, a blessing, wherever you go. Okay. Verse 6. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Isn't that something? It got to the point where Potiphar trusted Joseph so much that he didn't even have to worry about anything about his whole estate. Everything was taken care of. When Potiphar got home from work, the house was clean, the dishes were done, the cows were fed, and the books were balanced. (laughs) And he says he didn't have to worry about anything about except what he ate. The only thing Potiphar had to worry about was 
What are we going to have for dinner? Are we going to have lentil soup or are we going to have falafels? I looked it up. That's Egyptian. That's it. His life was made in the shade because Joseph was a blessing. Joseph was a blessing. But behind Joseph's success lurked a hidden danger. Why? Because Joseph is on his way up. He was the personal attendant for this captain of the FBI, the chief of the executioners. He has a responsible position. And along with greater success comes greater temptation. Look at the end of verse 6. And it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I looked up that uh, commentary by Leopold says that that expression, handsome in form and in appearance, is only used two other times in the Bible. One of David in 1 Samuel 16, verse 12, when it says he was broody, he was handsome in form and, and appearance. Dave, David was a, was a handsome young man. And, and the other time it's used is in 2 Samuel 14, 25, it's used of Absalom, David's son. I looked in my version, it says, handsome in form and, and appearance. In the NIV, it says, well built and handsome. I like that. And the Living Bible says, a very handsome young man. You know, you know, I can relate. A, a, a month ago, I accidentally was trimming my mustache and I had shaved it. I had to shave it all off. And I noticed I kept getting a lot of looks. I thought, man, I must be like the Mexican Brad Pitt, you know. Okay, okay. Uh, Antonio Banderas. But uh, it's like I had to grow this thing back because it was way too much attention. I was mucho good looking. And let me say, there's nothing wrong with being well built and handsome. Nothing wrong with it. Right? Just as there's nothing wrong with being rich. But it can be a curse. Not only is Joseph godly, he's competent, he's, he's, he's good, but he's also a good-looking young man. And I just want to ask you, where did he get his good looks from? Where did he get those good looks from? His mother. Remember in Genesis 29, 17, it says she was beautiful in form and appearance. Remember Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful. Remember that? He got his good looks from mama. He, he, he was blessed. He got her good looks. Now you say, you might be asking yourself, isn't that kind of shallow? You know, why are we talking about Joseph's good looks? Why is Joseph's physical appearance so important? Why are you emphasizing that? (laughs) It's a good question. Because it is the one aspect, it is the one quality, that's the word, that Mrs. Potiphar notices. She doesn't care anything about his faith or that he's, you know, has this career development going. She doesn't care about that. What is it that she cares about? He's a hottie. He's a good looking. He's, he's, he's a hunk. And she's, she cares. That's all she cares about. And this is the danger that lurks. Along with greater success comes greater temptation. So that's the setting. And I kind of spend a little time on that, but the setting is important. You need to know the ground before you get into the verse. That's good exegesis. 
So first, we have the setting. Secondly, we have the seduction. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. The Living Bible says she made eyes at him. And just in case he didn't understand her eyes, she made it crystal clear with her words. Come lie with me. That's what I call the direct approach. Okay? She makes this proposition. I almost titled this sermon, Dealing with Desperate Housewives. Because Mrs. Potiphar is like, you know, some of the women on that show. They, they want a little excitement in their life. But I said, nah, nah, I'm going to just how to deal with temptation. Now, commentators, one of the commentators I wrote, uh, read, Kiel, Kyle and Dalich, said that of all the ancient women, the Egyptian women were the most liberated. They were the most lascivious. I had to look up that word. Lascivious it means lewd, risky taken. They were the most liberated of all the uh, ancient women. And here, here Joseph is at work. He's doing his cleaning, doing his, you know, taking care of the, the house and everything. And what happens? She comes on to him at work. She comes and, and, and hits on him. She, you know, can you imagine? I've, I've seen guys do this, but can you imagine you're out there working as a guy and all of a sudden this woman, hey baby, woo, yeah, you look good. Go for it. Can you imagine that? That would just, that, that's weird. To me anyway. <laughs> Uh, she came on to him at work. His place of business. He's not. He's not uh, uh, at a bar. He's not at a club. He's at work. And I just want to say, this is the first case of sexual harassment in the Bible. First case. Now it comes in the proposition versus his principles. If there's anything you remember in this message, remember this verse, verse eight. But he refused. He refused. How could he refuse? How could he do that? Well, he two things. Look at verse 8. He says, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Two things he tells her. He says, first, based on his loyalty to his employer. My master doesn't have to worry about anything. He goes, he's entrusted everything to me. And mostly, most of all, because you are his wife. In other words, he's saying the sanctity of marriage. But his second reason is even stronger. It's based on his loyalty to God. He says, I can't do this great wickedness. This is his principle. Notice Joseph doesn't call it a one-night stand. He doesn't say, oh, I'm just going to have this innocent fling. Joseph knew what it was. He said this great wickedness and sin against God. Today, we live in a sex-crazed, saturated society. It, you, you drive along the street, you can't even go down the road without seeing bumper stickers that says, crocheters do it, with, do it faster, or uh, nurses do it with care, or carpenters do it, yada, yada, yada. And, and sex is a misdemeanor. And all these license plate frames. I talked about this last night, how our uh, teenage pregnancy has gone up 
400% from 30 years ago. It's, it's a, a big issue that we, we, we live with in this country. God has made a blueprint. And in the beginning of Genesis, He says, A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And then there's the intimate relationship. But the world has it backwards. The world does it the other way around. They want the intimate relationship first. And then we'll talk about leaving and cleaving and, and commitment. Joseph told her emphatically, no, no. He says, right is right and wrong is wrong. And that never changes. God's law never changes. Can you say amen? amen. Joseph kept his principles and refused her proposition. His relationship with the Lord was the most important thing than anything else in his life. How important is your relationship with God? Do you see God as the most important, the most holy, awesome presence in your life? Or do you just brush God aside so you can just sin a little bit whenever you want? Hold on to your principles. Say no to sin. Because the right godly principles can take you a long way. Remember... Joseph was about 20 to 22 years old. He's a young man. He's, he's red-blooded man. He's, he's, he's in his prime. He's not an old man. He's, he's, he's not a mummy. He's a young, good-looking man. And he stood up and said no. Why? Because of his principles in God. And if you look at verse 10, so it was as she spoke to jo Joseph. How often? Day by day, he didn't heed her to lie with her or to be with her. That shameless hussy, she set him up perfect for this moment of pleasure. She just caught him at the right to come lie with me. How could I refuse her? Because of his convictions. Because of his faith in God. Your principles can help you say no. To, to sin. And let me tell you, that's going to happen. It's going to come. Verse 10 says, day by day, the bait was dropped in front of Joseph every day. And every day, Joseph said, no, 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 no. She kept putting the pressure on, but he kept his, his, uh, his uh, principles. And here, we not only have the pressure, but we also have the perseverance. You know, Joseph didn't say, oh, gosh, whew, I'm through that. I'm, I'm glad this is over. That was a one time thing. <laughs> Temptation doesn't work like that. It just it doesn't come one time and then it's over. No, if you think like that, you're wrong. Temptation keeps coming all the time. And Potiphar's wife, she wasn't persuaded with his moral reasons or his convictions or the sanctity of marriage. She was only interested in gratifying her flesh. She kept dangling herself in front of Joseph day by day. Said, hey there, big boy. Come here. Come here. She was like bait on a hook. There isn't any sin in the bait. The sin is in the bite. And just let me say as an aside, I just, I really think, you got to remember, he was a big prominent official for Pharaoh. And I don't think, in reality, she was, I don't think she was ugly. She's probably what we call a trophy wife. You know, have you ever seen some some of these politicians? You see them on TV and you see they're, they're like, that's their, their spouse. Wow. You know, 
It's a trophy wife thing. Sometimes these, you know, actors have that too. This trophy wife. I don't think she was, she was homely or anything. I think she was probably a good looking woman. And day after day, she tried to seduce him. The temptation was strong. You know why? Because it was daily. Every day. Every day. A Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday. Can you imagine going to work every day and there it is? The temptation? It was strong. The devil is persistent. He'll keep coming at you. The devil you offers you something good. It looks good. It tastes good. It feels good. But it is not good. Remember Eve? Remember the temptation there? That's what it was like. And I love verse 10. It says that after day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Joseph didn't even want to be with her. His integrity took no chances. And that's a good point. No extramarital affair starts in the bedroom. None of them. Billy Graham, he's real good about this. He's always building hedges. He has to have three people with him whenever he meets with uh, somebody that's uh, going to be with a woman. He puts these hedges in there. He makes sure people go and check his uh, hotel room before he goes in. So that somebody doesn't jump out of the closet. Building hedges. My wife is real strong about building hedges. She's told me, you can't go out to lunch with her. Mm -mm. Nope, I'm coming. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Don't don't take chances. You got to be precautious. And women, you can build hedges by dressing modestly. Dressing modestly. Don't go running around, you know... Dress modestly. Let's just say it like that. Okay? Because men's eyes are, let's, let's say, they, they wander. Have you ever seen guys driving down the road? And they, they you know, wow, the wandering eye. Dress modestly. Anyway, you have to take precautions. He didn't want to be anywhere around her. And I think he tried to avoid her. But I think she knew his schedule. And in verse 11, it says, And it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. Um, I think she knew exactly what was going on. She planned this. And then verse 12, Then she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. That word, Caught him by his garment. It's the Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word. It means to grab with violence. No longer she's just saying words. Hey, come lie with me. She grabbed him. She had him. Come, come with me. She's getting physical and held onto his robe. Come lie with me. And here is the crossroad where Joseph's at. He has to make a decision. You know what do I do? You know this. He he didn't. You know I love it. He doesn't say. You know this woman's obviously in need. You know, she's got some serious issues going on. You know, what can I do? You know, no, no. He fled. He fled the house. He left the house naked and fled. And she's still holding on to his robe. Write this down. It is better to lose your robe than to lose your righteousness. <laughs> better to lose your robe than your righteousness. I agree with that 100%. In the movie Forrest Gump. There's a scene where these boys are chasing Forrest in this truck. And they start throwing rocks at him. And at first, he doesn't know what to do. He's kind of like stunned. 
And then his friend Jenny yells, run, Forrest, run. And then you see Forrest start taking off and he starts running and he starts running faster. And then those braces come off and he's he's gone. He's running. And then the next thing you see, he's running in the football game and everything. That's what we have to do. That's what Joseph had to do. He had to run, run from temptation. The Bible gives us the command to run. First Corinthians 618, flee sexual immorality. Second Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. You can't yield to sin if you're running. And when you're faced with sexual temptation, the best thing to do is get out of there. Run. The Bible says to stand and fight for every other sin except this one. Except sexual immorality. Run. Some of you are being tempted even today because of the society we live in. Look at the movies, listen to the music, watching TV. It's all sexually driven, commercials, everything. They're all sexually, sexual innuendos. But listen to me, young people. The best gift that you can give to your future spouse is your virginity. The best gift, I'm going to say it one more time, that you can give to your future spouse is your virginity. Purity. And you know what? You'll feel like you're the only one that's not doing it. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. You're not the only one. But you must persevere against the pressure. You must hold on to your principles against the proposition. You must hold on and persevere. We are called to holiness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. We're not to act like these godless pagan Egyptians. We're called to be different. And let me say, this is not just a message for young people. Because lust has no age limit. I I believe there's no greater danger than the internet. Even mature, church-going, married people can be dabbling with sexual immorality, pornography, and lust. Americans, I was shocked to find out they spend between 12 and $13 billion a year on pornography. I know respectable Christians who are involved in this sin. And they've even taught Bible classes. You would be surprised to find out who's involved in this type of sin. And the reason that it's so dangerous to me is because it's accessible, it's available, and it's affordable. You don't even have to leave your house. Right there, you can be involved in some serious sin. It is a terrible sin. It's so bad that I was watching Oprah one one day, and they had this, I'm not going to mention his name, some pastor from this huge church in Colorado committed sin, sexual immorality, and now he was on Larry King and everything else. It can get you. The devil has, he doesn't care. You can be a senator. You can be a pastor. You can be a bum on the street. Satan is looking for people to pull them down. And he wants us to give in. Have you ever been on the internet? You're just trying to get to some website and all of a sudden something pops up. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? It's one of the fastest growing websites on on the internet. So one, the setting. Two, the seduction. And three, the sanction. 
verse 13. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. There's a poet who wrote, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. I like that. Potiphar's wife was enraged. The temptress becomes the slanderer. And you know where it says there that she was, uh, she screamed? You know, I think, as I studied it, I don't think it was a scream because she was going to be violated. I think it was a scream because she went to grab him and have wanted to have relationships and he broke away and fled and she was enraged. So she screamed out of anger. Ah! Instead of, you know, ah! I think she was angry, enraged, outraged that he didn't want to be with her and have relationships with her. She wanted Joseph. She didn't want his robe. And she has the evidence, even though it's circumstantial. She has the evidence. And this evil, desperate housewife slanders Joseph. But look what it says. Verse 18. Or verse 17. Then she spoke to him with words saying like these. The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to, to me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Did you notice the anti-Semiticism there? That Hebrew. <laughs> so it was, verse 19, when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was in re- aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Egyptian law says that if you tried to rape a woman, you were put to death. But Potiphar... He didn't have Joseph executed. In fact, the prison he was assigned to was the royal prison. It's kind of like a, uh, like when Martha Stewart got in trouble and they went up to that country club place and she did all her baking up there and everything else. It was a, it was a royal prison. It wasn't where the, where the, 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 the scum went, the bad, evil people. In fact, I think this is an indication that Potiphar, in a sense, He kind of believed her. I believe Joseph. You know why I think he believed Joseph? Because he knew him. He knew the type of man he was. And he knew his reputation. And he saw him. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. After about a year, you get to know the person you're married to. They really start to come out. Right? It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't even take that long. You know, no more opening the doors. No more, all that's gone. You know, those days are over. But, A husband and a wife, they get to know each other. And I think he suspected she was unfaithful. And I don't think this was the first time. I do think it was the first time she was ever rejected. And she was hot. She was mad. So she came up with that lie. And you know, it's a terrible thing to be falsely accused, isn't it? It's a, it, it, it makes, it, 
it's, it's bad when you're falsely accused of something that you didn't do. And this is, this is Joseph. He's there being, he goes from the pit to the prison. All because of her slander. But Joseph was not guilty. You know, and, and think about it. Potiphar, what was his job? He was the chief, what? Executioner. He was the captain of the guard. He could have had Joseph done and over with. No big deal. Who's Joseph? That's my slave. If you remember, slaves didn't have any rights. He could have taken him out and just ended it right there. But he didn't. Because I think deep down in his heart, he knew who the culprit was. And so, he realizes that Joseph is not at fault. And so, when you think about it, this is the time right here. This is the time to reward Joseph for being a loyal employee, a man of principle, for resisting the temptation of his wife day after day after day after day after day. And what happens instead? Does he get rewarded? Does he get oh, promoted for doing the right thing? No. He's thrown into prison. He was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. But he was persecuted. And the Bible says, if you suffer with me, you shall also reign with me. In 2 Timothy 2.12. And in 1 Peter 2.20. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Let me tell you something. Obedience doesn't always bring success. Obedience doesn't always shield us from pain. Sometimes you're going to be persecuted for doing the right thing. I was thinking about this. Who suffered for doing righteousness? Look at John the Baptist. He preached against Herod having sex with his, or having relationships with his brother's wife. And they beheaded him. Daniel was in prison for praying to God. He was thrown in the den of lions. And Paul, and Peter and Paul, Peter and John, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 4 were arrested for preaching the resurrection of Christ. You will not be popular for doing the right thing. You won't be popular in school if you're not doing what everybody else and, and going along with them. Life isn't going to be desirable. And it wasn't for Joseph, but one day he's going to walk out of that prison. One day. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever they, they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Because the Lord was with him and made whatever he did to prosper. The Lord was with Joseph. Even in prison, Joseph shows that he is trustworthy. What I love about Joseph is no matter what happens to him, he loses his friends, he loses his job, he loses his home. His world is turned upside down, but he didn't lose God's presence. That's the, the most important thing. He didn't lose God's presence. So what are the lessons that we can learn today by this? On the back of your... Outline. It says, don't be alarmed when temptation comes. Expect it. Don't be blinded by your emotions. Detect it. And don't be deceived by persuasion. Reject it. J.C. Watts said, character is doing the right thing when nobody else is watching. That is 
100% true. Doing the right thing when nobody else is watching. God isn't finished building Joseph's character. But I want to ask you a question. Is it the will of God that Joseph be in prison? Is it God's will? The answer is, we'll find out next time. (laughs) Yeah, it was. In a book that was given to us by the elders, Men of Character, I want to read what Josh McDowell wrote in ending. It's hard to miss God's concern for purity. He demanded the use of pure gold in the construction of the tabernacle. He prescribed pure incense for use in worship. He required pure animals for sacrifice. He commanded pure hearts, pure religion, and pure relationships. In other words, the model Father communicates, in contrast to modern culture, peer pressure, and media messages, is that purity is good. The model the Father commands purity is because purity is something He values. And purity is something He values because He Himself is pure. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we go through all of our temptations, that you would be our guide, you would be our strength. And no matter the cost, Lord, that you would help us to overcome through your power. Help us, Lord, to be men and women of character, men who, and women who want to please you and not this world. Help us, Lord, in all our, our lives to do what is pleasing to you. Thank you for this time, and I pray, God, you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.